Hi, I'm Mark Nielski. I'm the author of The Economics of Happiness and my new book, An Economy of Wellbeing. Welcome to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I believe the most important aspiration of our life is well-being and genuine happiness. But by happiness, I refer to the original Greek definition, which literally means well-being of your spirit or well-being of your soul. I also believe we have an opportunity to change the consciousness of our world and the planet by rediscovering the true meaning of the words of business and economics, such as the word wealth, which literally means the conditions of well-being from the Old English. In my podcast, I'm joined with some incredible guests and elders to talk about the development of this new economy based on well-being. I wrote about those ideas in my new book, An Economy of Well-Being, Common Sense Tools for Building Genuine Wealth and Happiness. We'll explore many of those topics in these podcasts with some of my great guests. You'll learn how to adopt some of these ideas in your personal life, your business, and your community. I hope you enjoy these podcasts and feel more hopeful about the future. You can learn more about my book, The Economy of Wellbeing, from my website, economyofwellbeing.com. That's economyofwellbeing.com. And you can also purchase my book on Amazon as an ebook or a paper copy, or listen to my podcast and be inspired. Have a wonderful life. Welcome to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anielski, author of The Economics of Happiness and An Economy of Wellbeing. My next special guest is Greg Dooling. Greg Dooling is a CEO of the Capital Region Housing Corporation based at Edmonton, Alberta. Greg and I met about three years ago when I was reviewing Alberta's affordable housing program, a $1.2 billion program to build affordable homes for Albertans. Greg and I had a fascination with the subject of measuring well-being impacts of the programs. His program, which houses about 5,500 Edmontonians or families, was a very interesting one to examine from the perspective of well-being impacts. Uh, Two years ago, we conducted a pilot study with Capital Region Housing tenants, asking them about their well-being, baselining the conditions of well-being so that we could assess for the organization a well-being return on investment. This intrigued Greg greatly. Well-being had already been hardwired or written into their mission statement. Today I talked to Greg about his vision for the next few years, building even a more resilient and sustainable affordable housing program, something that I think is unrivaled both in Canada and internationally. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Greg and get inspired about what is possible when we think a little bit out of the box and we put well-being at the heart of decision-making. So welcome, Greg. Oh, thank you, Mark. CEO of uh, Capital Region Housing Corporation, originally from Newfoundland. From The Rock. From The Rock, former minister. the, 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 religious, the religious, the religious, the religious, yeah, no, not, <laughs> well, the, the, well no, you know, cabinet ministers might be religious, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but no, no, I was, uh, I was a pastor for uh, 17 years in Newfoundland. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so when I met you, I was working on the 
review of Alberta's affordable housing program. And yeah. We did. A, we proposed uh, beyond cost benefit. We, we wanted to look at the effectiveness of the program. And so I said, well, could we look at the well-being impacts of tenants? Uh, and you know, the ADM said, what does that mean? I said, well, let's just go and ask people their lived experience and try to quantify that ROI in terms of a you know a measurable score. And uh, it worked. Um, the, the report was never made public, but that's how we met. And uh, and then I suggested that maybe Capital Region Housing Corporate pilot this kind of well-being assessment tool, and actually be able to quantify the well-being impacts of your tenants by building by whatever socioeconomic uh, classification. So we ran that pilot, and and you've, you've still maintained a commitment to measuring well-being. So, what was it that you felt sort of this is a kind of intuitively good thing to do. You know, uh, whether it's our employees or our tenants, uh, a sense of well-being, uh, a sense of home, which often is uh, equated to a sense of well-being. When when we t- when we talk about home, uh, it's not just the roof over your head. It, it's really that that whole community that sense of place, of belonging, mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so when we got talking a little bit about that, uh, we recognized that individuals, whether it's your place of employment or the, the community you live in or the house you live in, um, if you have a sense of well-being, you, you're you on a better foundation for future success. And so uh, when, when we got talking about that, we said, well, it'd be interesting. You know, most organizations do customer satisfaction surveys, yeah. which is really a measurement of transactional, mm-hmm. uh, the transactional relationship. Right. You know, are, are you happy with the, the rent payment system? Yeah. Are, 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 is our maintenance uh, call service up to e- stuff? Efficiency metrics. Efficiency yeah. metrics yeah. and so forth. And it's more on a transactional versus a relational basis. Mm-hmm. And we think that uh, you can measure that, but wellness leans more to the relationship, relationship with the community, relationship with your neighbors, us as a landlord. Um, and so we, we said, let's look at that uh, because relationships tend to be more predictors of success long-term mm-hmm. than how you transact because you can transact, if you, if you don't like the service at one retail outlet, you can probably get the service somewhere else. Yeah, it, It's harder to move home. Absolutely. And so uh, when we started to look at that, we were actually pleasantly surprised. Um, uh, the majority of our, our tenants felt well. Mm-hmm. They were happy living in their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, um, they, they had a sense of community. Uh, I mean, I mean one, one of them that really stood out for us, well, what it started to do is really uh, um, break the stereotypes. Of poor, of, of low what, income, low income, poor families. Yeah. Uh, we obviously house a lot of new Canadians. Sure. Uh, you know, through our through our different programs, but one thing stood out. I, I remember. I mean, health, well being, often tied. Ninety percent of our tenants have a family doctor. Wow. And yet, yeah. the first thing they they, they think. Uh, you think, well, if you're poor, you, you don't have access to health care, yeah. or you, or you, go you medi- don't access. You go to the many centers. You, know, you go to the many centers, you go to Emerge, and so yeah. forth. 90%. Hang on a second. Isn't that what the norm is <laughs> in society? That's the middle class norm. That's yeah. this? Yeah. What, what we found through it all uh, was that um, they were pretty average. Mm-hmm. 
surprise. And I know we don't often aspire to average, yeah. but poor people are, are generally just like middle-income yeah. people. Like the, the, the difference, uh, when you provide an affordable place to live, you put um, both the middle class income earners and the low income earners on a fairly even footing yeah. around wellness yeah. and sense of well-being. Now, do they have the latest car? Are they able to take the trip to, to, to Maui? To or, Maui? No, or, no. Probably not. But th those things, I mean, I mean, research shows that eight days after your vacation, uh, the, the high of the vacation is over. <laughs> So that eight thousand yeah, bucks has gone eight days later. That's right. The, <laughs> the buzz rate, is gone. My return on happiness. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but really, that long-lasting happiness uh -huh. is a sense of well-being, a sense of home, a sense of community. Yeah. That when you start to create uh, affordability through housing, i.e., a family can put food on the table, uh, they can have have clothes for their kids. They can participate in some of the activities at school and in, in the community. They're just like everybody else in the community. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it puts them on, uh, on equal footing. And so that, uh, how they feel safe. So what we found is that uh, really the, the differences were statistical anomaly between what the average is for Edmonton around safety mm -hmm. and living with us. So they felt just as safe as most Edmontonians, uh, both living in their home and living in their community. And so all these things that go to that sense of well-being um, seem to be normalized when through agencies like Capital Region Housing and, and other housing nonprofit providers and government agencies uh, help families live in a home they can afford. Wow, that's fantastic. So it verifies actually my own research, which says, you know, no matter how much income you earn, you know, that statistically people are relatively the same in happiness. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you're really struggling financially, you yes. know, you're stressed. There's, there's no question. So but that, there's a baseline. I think yeah. that, yeah, if, if you're worried about food on the table at, at, uh, at the 20th of the month because the money's gone, you've paid your rent and yeah. the bills, yeah. that, that creates a new level of stress that, um, those of us who are fortunate don't have to experience. Right, absolutely. So the question about uh, accountability, so in a way you could say, well, we, we intuited this, right? This, was, this is common sense economics, but for the funders, for governments and others who fund, uh, help fund your enterprise or organization, you have how many te uh, families, tenants? 6,000? Uh, we, we have uh, about, uh, 5,300 families, uh, right, right, households right. that yeah. we manage properties, and then we serve another 3,000 through rent subsidies. Right. So we're, we're you know, 8,500 families we're, we're, we're helping live in a home they can afford. Yeah. So what, what excites me as an economist and having worked with the province is, you know, you'd think that this kind of economic analysis to demonstrate a well-being ROI would be sort of common sense, right? Uh, the fact that we don't even have cost-benefit guidelines for the province, which is interesting. Uh, so having done, you know, have done the study and and you know, re, uh, relearned that that truth. Um, so what what do you think? Do you think governments uh, funders are interested in the results of your sort of assessment of well-being impacts? And how do you think that 
in terms of your shareholders or your in terms of demonstrating a value proposition? Do you think there's an appetite, uh, an interest? You know, our experience has been if we do our job really well, yeah, we go under the radar. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, when when you sure. look at the, I, you know, we serve a population. I, I, I was sharing with city council the other day here in Edmonton that um, we, we serve a, a, a group of people, the population of Spruce Grove. Right, you right. Know, over thirty thousand people, mm-hmm. uh, but we also have on our waiting list another thirty thousand people uh, through the nine thousand families on our waiting list uh, that uh, need a place to live uh, affordably. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the thing is when we help those families that we are helping well, nobody really notices because they're just a part of society. Yeah. And they're they're contributing to society. Yeah. I, I think of how we're helping uh, some families through the, this unique uh, joint venture that we've, we've been involved with in Southeast Edmonton. Um, it's meaningful to the 45 households to put an extra three hundred and fifty dollars in net income in their pocket each month. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, for for those that are in, uh, or, you know, an inc- annual income of, uh, you know, thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year, um, putting an extra three hundred and fifty of cash, literally, in yeah. their pocket because, you know, we're taking our proceeds from that partnership and, and subsidizing it without government help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's meaningful. Yeah. Especially we know the statistics, so many Albertans are literally on one month away from bankruptcy. I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the measurements in our wellness survey asked, if you had a $400 bill right. that came, yeah, uh, could you pay it? Right. Unexpected car repair right. or fee that you had to pay, yeah. would you have the cash to pay it or would you have to right. borrow I to pay it? I love that question. That was... Most have to borrow to pay it. They do not have $400. Right. To pay it, yeah, they got to go to the money market. Right? We we want yeah. to know that too, right? Yeah, yeah. advance, uh, get an advance, advance. on their check or something to that yeah. effect, just to pay a four hundred dollar yeah, bill. Yeah. That that's a problem. Yeah. So you know, through this partnership, we're putting the almost that much in their pocket every single month, right. extra. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if they were living in the marketplace, um, that would be going straight to rent. Yeah. So that can go to groceries and other life needs that are. Yeah, I mean, an individual or a couple that. Yeah. That's your month, month's groceries. Yeah. Or it can be pretty yeah. close to it, three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. So that for me, the interesting thing is you're also reducing the, the sort of social liabilities that that come with homelessness. Or not you're dealing with homelessness, but you know these are some say you know hundred eighty thousand dollar per annum line items, right? Yeah. In, in terms of hospitals and. All that. So, in, in part, you can demonstrate that value on the balance sheet of or the city of Edmonton or whatever, in terms of you know you're not only helping people in their well-being, but reducing some of those social uh, societal costs that would might come with right the stresses of not living in an affordable housing situation. You know, we we're in the building industry. We we have lots of buildings that we yeah. manage, and we're building more. Uh, and in the in that sector, in the development sector, we talk a lot about passive house and net zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in many cases, we have net zero families. Absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. know, they, they're, they're, they have low they, they, carbon footprint. They, 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 right? they have a low impact to all the social services and yeah. all those other take things. take public transit or whatever, right. Uh, that um, 
that if they didn't have an affordable home to live in, they would actually be a drain on society. Now, are yes, they are they yes. the ones spending all the money in retail and so forth and, and big contributors to the uh, economy? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But they're also not a drain on the economy. Absolutely. They're not a drain on the social services. They're not a drain on the sector. Uh, less hospital visits, less doctor visits. Uh, why? Because they can afford to put food on their table. Um, their kids are involved. Yeah. In in, in the, the community athletics and so they're they're living healthier lives. Yeah. Uh, there's less stress. Yeah. You know, we That's all know, right. That's right. You know, all those things. So uh, fr from an economic perspective, we get to net zero when we help families live in a, in a home they can afford. Yeah. Uh, versus, uh, and then hopefully over time, uh, a percentage of those families actually become contributors. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we look at uh, the families uh, that have been helped. We have city councilors here in Edmonton that have lived with us. Mm. We have deputy ministers and assistant deputy ministers in, in provincial <laughs> government yep. that as children lived with us. Wow, it's uh, the legacy of... Uh, wow. we, we have uh, professional soccer players yeah. <laughs> that have lived with us, yeah. that have gone on to successful lives. Why? Because they, they grew up in an environment where yeah. they were well. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was a stable home. And one of, I think the question we asked is the question of hope, like, do you feel hope for your children? I mean, and, and I think the responses are positive in that regard. So, you know, that those are those intangible assets that, uh, yeah, it goes without saying, are certainly worth uh, celebrating. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. if we, we, we all take different paths, no matter where we started in our socioeconomic yeah, yeah, yeah. ladder. Yeah. Um, but at the moment you take hope away, uh, that's quite a demotivation uh, for, yeah, for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because all of us, no matter where we are in life, have hope that tomorrow will be slightly better than today. Yeah. Hope for our children. Or at least it. not less better. Yeah. And and, and for our children and the and, next generation. And certainly new, you know, you know, I'm a firstborn of an immigrant father from Germany and you know, so you know, I can attest to uh, the joys of, of not having to grow up in a war zone so like so many new Absolutely. Canadians. Have come from Syria or wherever, and and uh, yeah, they. It's no no wonder they think this is the promised land. I mean, it's a place of hope and uh, for their children. And we we hear that story all the time. Yeah, you know, with, with new applicants or current tenants, um, that quite frankly cannot believe. Yeah, that a government through agencies like ours uh, would help people with a roof over their head that they can make home with. Yeah, yeah. So switching to the uh, really uh, boring, actually for me it's very interesting, the, the financial, the, this, this uh, one of the things I've been fascinated with is how programs like Habitat or yours can operate at such a, an efficient price point per door. And, and I know you've, you've been pioneering a new kind of private public, uh, public kind of partnership model. And your numbers are like almost too good to believe, but um, <laughs> so help. Could you kind of give us a high level overview of what you're doing and yeah. without revealing all the trade secrets? Absolutely. But I think the your model is clearly transferable. There's there's so many cities in North America. My colleague works in Los Angeles. He's an investment banker. He's you know fifty five thousand homeless in Los Angeles. It's ridiculous and. 
we could solve this problem through some creative financial instruments and solutions. Yeah. Well, Mark, you and I have, have talked in the past about uh, what, what North America provided for, for the first settlers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a chance to own land. Yeah. And, and build wealth through that, that ownership right. stake. And, and really, uh, that's been put on steroids in North America now. That, that yes. real estate uh, is, is, is a commodity. Yeah. Uh, there, there are certainly advocates in the affordable housing sector that lament the financialization of real estate and property land. and land. And let's not forget the Homestead Act was stealing the land from indigenous people yes, and giving the, the sellers for free. So it's interesting that our biggest conundrum now to me is property value. Yes, right? it is. Which is the, the inflation is not in the, the home. No. The placement costs, the materials, it's in the land. It's in the land. Which is this bizarre sort of conundrum we find ourselves in now. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when, when we started uh, Capital Region Housing celebrating 50 years wow. now, and we've, for the most part, the last 50 years, kind of done business the same way. We've been a, a good steward of uh, government investment in, in, in how they subsidize affordable housing and social housing. Uh, but we said, you know, if we extrapolate that out 20 years, uh, that's a lot of money that they're going to have to continue to invest just to keep status quo. Right. And we asked ourselves a, f uh, a few years ago the question, can we do something different with that? Mm. And given the fact that, you know, we manage a billion dollars in real estate, um, is there a way to do that differently? And so we've kind of turned that argument upside down on, on the real estate and the financialization mm. and say, okay, so is it going backwards? It might be stable, mm. but the value of land is probably at, at the very least stable, plus or minus some percentage points, but likely over time has an upward trend. Mm -hmm. What can we do to leverage that? And so we've said, you know, let, let's not treat our property as a social program. Let's treat it for what it is. It's real estate. Mm -hmm. And is there a way to take it from that, through that lens and say, actually, we're a pretty big real estate company. Can we leverage that for social purpose? Mm -hmm. and, and so we found a way. Because, you know, a recent article I, I read last year, I, I forget the author, uh, probably a LinkedIn post or something like that, <laughs> uh, that said money is not the problem anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's actually people. You know, CEOs at one time, the biggest challenge was finding, when you wanted to grow, was finding the money. Right, right. Um, now it's finding the good people to help you get there. Yes, uh, yes. The, yeah, the other leaders. The, you could, good experience. money fall, always follows good, good projects. Yeah, yeah. So we said we need to find a model that people want to invest in. Mm -hmm. And we, we believe we've we've found that you know our our joint venture that we we first uh, we started uh, almost three years ago now uh, with an investment a capital investment on our part capital mm -hmm. region housing as as well as our partners uh, has uh, been leveraged to the point that in order to place forty five subsidized units uh, in a market development of one hundred and seventy four. Um, it has cost us less than half a million dollars to do that. Wow. At the end of the day. And it's real estate 101. Yeah. Uh, you build it for a certain price, but because of cash flows, it's worth more, and you leverage that value. Yeah. And by leveraging that value, you have to keep less cash in than if you're just mortgaging the costs. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we take our, our proceeds, our profit, at the end of the day, our net profit, and that's what we use to subsidize those units. Right, right. Uh, off the balance sheet. So we're a 50% owner in that with a private sector partner. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one way we're doing it. Right. Uh, because the one thing we did realize when we looked at the challenge in front of us with our wait lists growing every month uh, is, is that we're not going to do this through one way or through one program. Um, we, we've also looked at how do we redevelop social housing. And mm. we found, <coughs> excuse me, that normal public procurement, which means you put out to tender one project uh, and you tender that project. Then if you want to do another one, you do this it's lather, rinse, receipt. You have to go through yeah. the same process for that one. Uh, and you can't build relationships. You can't build any economies of scale by doing one plus one mm -hmm. plus one plus one. There isn't the, the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to get to the sum of the parts. And so now our, 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 our next plan is actually to look at 13 sites as one big redevelopment. We'll still have, because we're a public agency, we yeah. still have to publicly procure those services right, right. And, and, and all those contractors and yeah. architects, et cetera. But if we procure at that scale, now we're getting economies of scale. And being able to drive down the price point um, so that, uh, that, that it's a predictable workflow over the next five to 10 years. Right. Now, what I love about government when they're smart, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that if they get behind good ideas, they can accelerate those plans. Absolutely. So our original vision for this was probably a 15 to 20 year horizon. Mm. With the national housing strategy and the low cost borrowing that comes through the co-investment program. Yeah, through CMHC. Through CMHC. Which you have access to those low rates. We do. Rates. That accelerates the program yeah. for us. Why? Because it's that low-cost borrowing with a long amortization right, right. that allows us to say, oh, we, we can take a 15 to 20 year horizon. We can compress that program to five years yeah, and do it all together. Right. Now, that's a lot of work to get done in five years. And you know, by the time we open that last door, it's not going to be five years, but we, we sure. want to be in the sure. ground uh, on those last projects. But that's what government should do, should take good ideas and through their leveraging uh, and, and their borrowing power, this, even add yeah. oxygen to the fire, absolutely, to the idea. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, now you've got something that can move much more quickly, and we can get to addressing. The, and that return just comes back quicker to, yeah. the, to the city, to, to the local economy. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no yeah, secret right now. Alberta's economy is hurting. Um, th th this, right. get, this gets people back to work. It's 5,000 jobs. Absolutely. Yeah, accelerate that, that capital investment and uh, put it on your balance sheet. I mean, that's the other thing that I lament is we don't, they're not operating, certainly governments don't operate with full balance sheets. No, so and, and things you're this doing one, this, this goes then on our balance sheet. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, uh, we, we double our company Yeah. in five years. Sure. The value of our company. Overnight. So a uh, couple of questions. I know we've talked about the, this magic. This, so well, why, would, why would a private developer, you know, join partnership with the with, uh, capital region and, and you talked about well that sweet differential between what you know a social enterprise I'll call you that can borrow yeah. uh, at, at CMHC rates and the and the private guy gets the bank rate seven eight percent so that differential helps the private guy show a profit 
and and you guys are underwriting in a, in a sense. Um, so that kind of differential is really the key to uh, reducing your cost per door significantly. Oh, absolutely. You know, people have asked me the question, you know, why, why do private sector, why, why would they partner with a yeah. public entity or yeah. a social enterprise entity? Um, I mean, the dollars and cents, just that alone, you, you can quantify yeah. the delta between what traditional borrowing, conventional borrowing versus the access that we, we yeah. bring to the table. Yeah. And, and those are real dollars. Absolutely. Um, that that go to the bottom line, go to the operating, go to the capital needed, etc. Yeah. Um, but what you're hearing now worldwide, uh, and I read a, read a recent article in Forbes, I, I think it was Forbes magazine, uh, that articulated that the, the big companies in the world are saying, just maybe, it's not all about the shareholder value. <laughs> I Maybe think, we should return I think the something. The BlackRock CEO just said that at Davos. Yeah. I, I maybe, think so. just maybe, uh, just maybe, just maybe something new is happening. That maybe <laughs> we should give back to society, to what the world. What is the role of business, anyways? No. The role of business, business worldwide. That's a question. Is that's, it? Is there something beyond the almighty? That's what Larry King line. said, right? The CEO of Black, yeah. BlackRock. Yeah. Just maybe we should discuss what business is about. It's yeah. Responsibility. It's now. You know, I, I, I'm in a for-purpose organization yeah. versus a for-profit. So we, we drive our proceeds back into to, yeah. our, to why we exist. We see the intrinsic value, even for for-profit companies, um, to give back to society or do something that has social purpose. Because really, what drives the, the highest and best value of a company? It's your employees. Mm -hmm. And at some point... The return uh, for your employees who are only working for the bottom line to pay the there's mortgage. A, to yeah. pay the more there's a diminishing return. Absolutely. People want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. They want meaningful work. They want meaning. Too few Canadians go to work and don't get meaning out of their, their work life. Exactly. So, so if they find themselves a part of a for-profit corporation that is also adding value to their community. Mm -hmm. Their happiness goes up. Yes. And happy employees are more productive. Absolutely. Lower sick days, lower turnover. Less turnover, Just, better productivity. Yeah, better In holidays. fact, <laughs> I bet you if you were to, you know, as an economist, if you were to quantify it, yeah. a, a for-profit company that had a social conscience, that took real dollars and invested it some way for social purpose, I bet you their net returns are higher than the for-profit that just focuses on the bottom line. Oh, yeah. You, you can quantify yeah. the long-term uh, impact of companies I, that want to give back. Believe me, if, if this was in demand, I'd, I wouldn't be here. I'd be busier. Because the truth is, I don't think that kind of accounting is happening yet. I mean, they talk about it. Gallup talks about, you know, I think this number right now is 15% of Canadians' workers find the work meaningful. Only 15%, which is pathetic. Right, yeah. so just you know, a two percentage point. I'll find take one company and, and increase the, the the sense of what you know well being in the workplace, and I know it's going to affect their bottom line. I can, you know, absolutely two quarters out I already show you right. Well, uh, when you so compare uh, when you compare publicly traded companies versus family owned companies, yeah, family companies owned camp companies 
who often look at things through a different lens. Absolutely. Uh, about building long-term wealth. They're, most of them are invested in their communities. Yeah, or their uh, families. They, or their, et yeah. But they're looking long-term yeah. about growing value. Um, many of them, you know, started in a particular community and they became part of the fabric of that the major employer. Yeah, so yeah. They outperform publicly traded companies uh, by close to 20% over the long term. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. And in business school, we actually don't, it's funny, we don't look at the family-owned business very often, right? That the Italian company has been around for 800 years. Talking about resilience. I mean, yeah. the average company lasts, I think, 70 years. You know, Hewlett and Packard, and remember they were saying once to, in this forum I was in, you know, every it's like every forest has a natural cycle. Yeah. So we're just waiting for the big wildfire to wipe out what Procter & Gamble started in their garage in, interesting. Right, in Cincinnati. And um, so, right, it's interesting that uh, once the second, the third generation takes over, I mean, and that's that's yeah, like, the, that's a family, but these public companies, um, you know, but you're right, I think the we do ourselves a service to examine companies that are run by ethical uh, leaders like Ray Anderson who ran, you know, Bet you these carpet tiles are interfloor carpet. They may be uh, <laughs> made by Ray Anderson's company, Interface, right? Yeah. Uh, with and that was one man who, who said I had literally a spiritual awakening that I was producing, he called it the end of birth uh, materials, carpets, and I took it upon myself to change the entire company, <laughs> and change like you change the model. So why people aren't buying the carpet because they want to keep it? They're buying the utility of the carpet. It, it, hopefully it looks okay and it wears for 20 years and uh, but we're going to take ownership of the entire life cycle now of the carpet hmm. and he changed the whole industry it, were people ready for a lease agreement on a carpet not quite interesting but he flipped it. he says yep. you know you guys don't want to buy this you want to lease the service and when that patch wears out we'll come in and replace that patch easy yep. right that's all just one patch two patches the corners are still like you just moved in, yeah. So uh, yeah, because it's it's a it's a different way of looking at business. Yeah. a different way of looking at what what value do I bring? I I remember way back in, in a marketing course, <laughs> and and it stuck in my head. Uh, the prophet was was sharing an example of of consulting with a mattress company, right? And he asked the sales force, "What are you selling? Mattresses." We sell full mattresses, we sell spring mattresses, we sell thick ones, thin ones, <laughs> folding ones, queen, you know, we sell mattresses. I said, do you really? I said, don't you sell a good night's sleep? sleep. I was going to say, isn't it the outcome that you're selling? It's like my REM hours, yeah, right? That's what you're selling, <laughs> a good night's measure sleep. It now. <laughs> we don't sell, we, we don't provide houses. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're creating a, 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 a home, a place where people can thrive. Yeah. And the way we do that is by renting at a rate that they can afford. Yeah. Uh, because we know that it's home and all those things that go with home. Sense of well-being, sense of belonging. Yeah. Uh, a place uh, where, you know, there's food on the table at, uh, at, at every evening, uh, that you're loved. All those things that go really to the core of us as humanity is what we're selling. Yeah. We're not selling rental houses, affordable no, rental no. houses. You're, yeah, you're selling good, good living. And, yeah. And, and I mean, 
mean, the science shows that belonging is the key to happiness. I mean, relationships are 40% of what yeah. we define as making us happy, right? Not, not how much you make or your education. So uh, that's what you're, you know, you're delivering. So question uh, from a, just a pure financial perspective. I know having done a forensic, and I'm going to reveal the numbers, they're probably not secret. So when I did a forensic accounting of Habitat's model, mm -hmm. Uh, of course, it's volunteer-based, and the land is generally given for free by the city uh, when they're successful negotiating that. Uh, no one gets land for free. Uh, but So when I looked at that, that enterprise, the average cost per door, or actually per unit, for so a typical family of four would be 240000 cash. That's just yes. cash, right? And the land is free. So then you figure out, well, the mortgage, you know, if, if it's based on a percentage of income, let's say 20%, maximum uh, then your actual cost of living you're like you said you're you're allowing that household in the Edmonton market to go uh, to sleep at night with nine to ten grand in their jeans of unpaid interest charges on your typical duplex mortgage in the Edmonton market yeah that was two years ago the markets you know correct yeah. a little bit so so that to me fascinating me it's like wow there there is a, whether the, the people realize, like in your model, whether they, they see 300 bucks in their jeans or f understand that that's what they have as discretionary income now, you know, though that's what the numbers tell me. Um, so your models, you're, you're saying that you're doing it for even less per door, uh, less per family or less per person. And how are you, how are you solving this kind of financial, I mean, your stories, I know it's like, It'll, again, it sounds too good to be true. Uh, and I thought Habitat was the cat's meow. And now they're, they're struggling for, for reasons that are, I'm sure, more complicated than, than any of us understand. But, but I think what you're doing is the new innovation. You know, we, we, for the right people. Yeah. And with the right project, uh, with the right partners. Um, I, I, we, when we looked at the, this partnership, uh, we, we said, you know, at the end of the day, what, what, what do we believe to be the best case scenario? Again, because of government yeah. uh, and some low-cost financing we were able to access um, with, with a CMHC-insured mortgage, it has exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. So, good idea, supported by an insured mortgage, it's even better than we 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 hoped, um, and but we also know that this isn't going to be the elixir of life. This isn't the only way to do it. Right. But it does help a portion of society. Yeah. Uh, again, in, putting in that this need spectrum. Yeah, in, 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 in within yeah. a spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were very lucky to to work with a partner that uh, a developer, and property manager that have been doing this for a number of years. Uh, the advantage of private sector is uh, the ability to refine a, a process um, through the shampoo model. Lather, rinse, yeah. repeat. <laughs> I love it, the shampoo model. It's, it's, yeah. If it works, you lather, rinse, repeat. And, and you refine it each <laughs> yeah, time, yeah, yeah. and you tweak it each time so that you're driving down that, uh, that cost per square foot each time. Each time, yeah, uh, yeah. Down to the nickel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, and so, you're trying to squeeze the nickels out of how you build, because there's, you know, there's real estate's a closed financial cycle. Yeah. There's the cost of the land, there's the cost of the building materials and the labor. Yeah. yeah. And the borrowing. Yeah. 
So once you start to move one of those things, the, something else moves. Yeah, but I have to interject. You basically, I think what you've done is what Amy Lovins, who's a genius uh, from the United States on, on green energy and all that, he said, the magic is drilling through the cost curve, right? If you yes. can drill through the cost curve and figure out that tunnel, right? And I think that's what you... Where you hit that spot. You, you figure that out. Everyone doesn't believe, most people don't believe him when he says, what, what do you mean drill through the cost curve? But you, I think, have figured that out. Uh, in this case, now, yeah. and we want to be able to replicate it. Now, right. I, I always say, you know, well, the first one went well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we yeah. do it again? Yeah. And, and, and we believe we can get there again. Uh, each real estate deal has unique uh, variables in and of themselves, whether it's the land costs or the timing of construction, uh, the constructability, etc. cetera. Right. But uh, in, in this case, uh, we, we got down to a price point where uh, on the 174 uh, units, uh, uh, of which we've integrated 45 subsidized, right? Um, it cost us less than $3,000 a door. Wow. The rest we were able that to reach through that borrowing. That is unbelievable. And, and the pro forma supports the borrowing. Wow. Wow. Just a sec. This is kind of funny. Make sure it's not my car. <laughs> That's the second time. We've heard it, uh, some of those in er, earlier, same thing. I don't even know which car it is. Wow. Sorry. No. Um, can be edited easily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so $3,000, I mean, that's, again, that sounds, compared to what I just said about the Habitat cash cost per door. Yeah. Um, so how? Uh, well, part of it is, uh, I mean, one of the biggest challenges, uh, Mark, in, in affordable housing is your rental income. Right, right. We're suppressing our rental income. Right. And so when we go to, uh, to the bank and say, okay, we, we're reducing our rental income by 20%. Yeah. There's a direct correlation to the amount of money we can borrow. Right. And so that, that's factor number one. Factor number two when Capital Region Housing, public housing agency procures, yeah. and we go back to that portfolio approach versus project approach, yeah. when we procure a project, all of our winning proponents have to bake in all of their risk and all of their margin in project A. Right. Because there's no project B right. or C or D guaranteed. Mm -hmm. That first project might be the only one they get. When we go to do the next project, they may not win the procurement process. Private sector, they work with similar subtrades, they work with similar contractors, and over time they build a rapport and they they get down to a price point and they can spread their risk and their profit over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the that's what I wanted to leverage both the market rent. Mm -hmm. So effectively on this private partnership. We're getting market rent. Why? Because we're taking our profit and topping up the subsidized rent sure. so that there's true market revenue yeah, on that yeah, project. Yeah. So when we go to the banks, the loan to value at a cap rate yeah. looks, uh, like, lo any looks like any. I, and, and so it, it looks like a market project. And we can borrow against it like a market project. Sure. Whereas if we build it and it's 100% subsidized and we publicly procured, 
often all we can ever borrow is is um, what it costs us yeah. against our, our our loan to cost is almost always the same as our loan to value. So we get no equity lift. Yeah. Through through evaluation on rental revenue. Right, right. So that right now that affordability threshold that uh, I you know I I understand is imposed by government. So uh, what is that what is that gap right now between market and affordable? Uh, we're we're doing a minimum twenty percent below yeah. market. Because I so know it, we, it's meaningful. Yeah, because when I mean, when we looked at the Edmonton and Calgary um, data, this was twenty two thousand eight to twelve, so a time when the economy was good. Uh, at best, you know, they were ten percent below market. Uh, yeah. So it was it wasn't meeting the. Yeah, the I, threshold. I mean, uh, kind of, you know, I would say worldwide, but certainly widely accepted. Uh, you know, the, the target is about thirty percent of your gross in income right, should right. be household yes. costs. Yeah. What we're saying is, if you're paying fifty or sixty percent, and we can find a rent for you that's thirty-five or thirty-eight percent, that's still meaningful. That's it's amazing. You know, right. people still get fixated on the thirty yeah. percent of income. We're yeah. saying, okay, we may not be able to hit that number, but we can hit thirty-eight percent instead of paying sixty percent of your income. Yeah. And so we're trying to find that meaningful delta. Sure. That makes a substantive difference for the family. For the family. that it, Both in real dollars, yeah. but also in a reduction, you know, percentage-wise. Yeah. And so that's what we're seeing in this, you know, where it's about 20% below, uh, a little over 20% yeah, yeah, below yeah. market, uh, the subsidized units. But in real dollars, it's $350 sure. per month. Yeah. And you're able to internally subsidize that. Yeah, we can subsidize that. That unit yeah. without government funding, right, right, or subsidies, because yeah. uh, you're doing it on that the financial, the differential between, yeah. right, the borrowing of the, right, absolutely, yeah, fantastic. We're leveraging the real estate. Yeah, you're leveraging, and that's banking language, right? Yeah. Leveraging, leveraging that asset. So, second question following is the land piece. Like, how are you solving the land uh, the issue of land prices? And I mean. If Habitat got it for free, I know you're not getting your land for free necessarily, uh, but one thing that my colleague in Los Angeles and I have talked about is, could there be sort of a, a lease agreement, a permanent, you know, if, if we said this piece of land, which is, uh, you know, uh, distressed land or brown, whatever it is, right, but it's say on the city's inventory, but it's not generating any taxes, so could we put a sort of a covenant or a, it's like a 99-year lease agreement. As long as it stays in affordable housing or yeah. homelessness housing, right, which then could show up on the city's bottom line as a, as a cost-saving to services. Mm. Um, what, what, I mean, I know I'm, I'm projecting yeah. in, in my question, but how is a land pricing issue uh, resolved for you? Well, um, a colleague of mine who, who's been in the, the housing sector, affordable housing sector, much longer than I have uh, once quit. Um, subsidized housing requires a subsidy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know it was, it, oh, it was, it was like, absolutely <laughs> inspirational. It's all like uh, something so, like a new <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it, it's a Brit. <laughs> it's a Brit, of course. Close enough. Close enough. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it's... Uh, so that money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So uh, in the case of our joint venture, we're, we are uh, subsidizing it through our cash flows. Sure. Another way to do that is your land value. So if, if you get you know, a long-term lease or a nominal sum 
uh, asset transfer, you know, land transfer yeah, yeah. to, to uh, yeah. agencies such as ourselves. Yeah. That's another way of taking that equity. In fact, that's what we're doing on our CMHC. I was going to say, are you, I mean, it's a leading yeah. question, are you doing that now? We, we are looking at the land value yeah. of the 12 city-owned sites and saying, okay, what's, what's the retail value of that? And, and we ballparked it. This is about $50 million. The actual lease value has been quantified for a 60-year land lease mm. at $247 million. So there's a value... Mm. That can be leveraged. Right, 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 right. To subsidize. You can still take that to the bank. Look, this. I can go to the bank with that and say, yes. here's the value of this lease. Yeah. I want to now leverage that for favorable financing uh, so that I can build more units that help create a mix of, of, of rents from market all the way to deep subsidy. Yeah. That help uh, subsidize that cash flow. Uh, so that I can help more families. Right, right. Now, if I have to pay for that land, like I get, you know, like my colleague said, subsidized housing requires a subsidy, so that money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So if you have to pay for your land, you know, retail value. Yeah. You're not getting any kind of subsidy out of that value. Sure. Whereas if that is a long-term lease or a nominal sum tra land transfer, um, then um, we we can actually leverage that to provide the long-term subsidy. Yeah. And that makes economic sense. Where ten percent of the population will find themselves chronically in a low-income situation. Oh. It's you know the numbers hardly change over the last thirty years. Yeah, plus so or minus. The poor will always be with us. I mean, the poor being right, the low-income yeah. uh, cohort. And so we know there's a permanent demand. Yeah. Right. A perpetual. And, demand. and if you go back thirty years, the market provided most of that. Yeah. Um, uh, and and where there was a gap. The governments of the day kept building to meet up with demand. Right, right. Problem is, we stopped building at the end of the eighties. That's right. And what was a ten to fifteen percent uh, proportionate share of the market that were, was affordable yeah. is now down to four percent. Yeah. So we we have this gap that the market can't fill, and government hasn't filled. Yeah. And that's where we step in. Yeah. <laughs> Working with builders now. Uh, oh, good. With Clark and uh, Turner, hopefully, out of good. New York. Yeah. Oh, wow. On well-being. Um, we're, we're bidding on a project with Lululemon, actually, in uh, Vancouver. Interesting. And we want to demonstrate a well-being ROI or impact on the construction side, so the on, on the on the paid labor side. Yeah. That's good the plan. Yeah. So um, I know we're we're over time, but uh, one one last question on on we've talked about this idea of I know one of the things Habitat prides itself in is this notion that you know they have a bit, they fashion a mortgage uh, which is kind of an equity there's an equity piece here mm -hmm. uh, that the tenant benefits from getting their principal back um, and so they can and we talked about is that a is that something within your uh, future aspiration to think about a kind of an equity option for some of your tenants or would you rather see the assets stay and on your balance sheet and you manage uh, given the cohort you're uh, you know the socioeconomic cohort you work with so because I think what is what we found of course is habitat might be servicing a certain 
you know, cohort, which are usually two, you know, two parent working families, mm -hmm. right? That, yeah, they can, they can afford to pay $1,000 a month in, in that no interest mortgage. Um, and maybe your tenants are, are different. They're, and then we've got at the low end, we've got homelessness, which is a whole other challenging cohort. So, but do you ever imagine a day when there, that might be an option that your tenants actually become equity partners in in the real estate? Um, it, it is definitely something that we've explored. Um, our challenge right now um, under our current operating model is um, our ability to do that is, is very limited in, yeah. in that 85-90% of our operations really is the administration of social housing and sure, the property sure. management of social housing. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have some affordable housing. We aren't quite in that place yeah. uh, where, because I think you need to go at that with some sort of scale to make it viable. Right. Um, and you don't necessarily need to. I mean, you're right. You're this is your niche. Yeah, and so, your, and so there's that factor. Yeah. You're, you're right, and, and then the second factor is right. Staying in our swim lane. Yeah, uh, we we think uh, that we do what we do quite well. Yeah, we want to keep improving upon that, and 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 so forth. It, it was interesting um, that uh, the, the current president CEO of CMHC came out recently, uh, just before Christmas, and suggested that home ownership isn't the elixir of life. Yeah, uh, that yeah. you know. We, we, as Canadians, when you look at the home owner, ownership statistics, I think 69% of Canadians, something in that range. Yeah, it's pretty, it's still uh, pretty high. Still are homeowners. Yeah, yeah. That's it staggering. Is. It is. When you look at many European countries, renting is generational, and they, they, they don't well, they, think twice about they it. They have 100, you know, in Sweden, they're debating whether they should relax a 150-year, like, intergenerational mortgage. Like, 150 years, I mean, this is common in Japan, or right? Yeah, so it's, it's this yeah. notion that yeah. renting is somehow inferior or less desirable yeah. is really a North American phenomenon. Truly. And so we're saying, and, and if, you know, as in, if you run the numbers... <laughs> No, I've done the numbers on rent versus own. Right now, the the, the, the risks, of course, uh, in in the rental sector, if it's not a stable rental, yeah, you market, don't you have a crappy you, landlord, you know, crappy landlord or or yeah, uh, you know, overheated economy. All yeah, of a sudden, yeah, rents yeah. Are, are jumping. Yeah, and that's not sustainable. So no. there there is a there is a cost of ownership, um, uh, risk factor yes, yes. for renting versus yeah. owning. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and and so homeowners you know that that price shock goes yeah. away yeah yeah if you if you stay where you are and you keep paying your mortgage that's what you're going to pay yeah until it's paid off yeah whereas renters can be subject to those price shocks right and so that's the downside risk to that but if if you are a disciplined saver um and and you're in a good rental situation long term you're building wealth both ways absolutely you know, so home ownership isn't—it's—it's it's the greatest forced savings plan yeah. there is. Yeah. Uh, but renting can also get you there, and, and you know the reality is in today's mobile workforce, particularly in that first twenty years of your career, how many times are you going to change your job? And yeah. if you're tied to a mortgage, are you as mobile a worker as if you're a renter? Absolutely. And, you know, no, so, I agree. I agree. And so there, there's there's options. It's not yeah. for everyone. And so we think that we stay in that, that kind of rental stream for now. Um, if if uh, in, in a few years' time that 
uh, our, our ability to, to manage the portfolio in a different way, ideally in a sustainable way that relies less on government subsidies, those are certainly options that surprisingly, it's the, the retiring community that live in those neighborhoods where we manage properties, mm -hmm. they're looking for ownership. Yeah. And so we see that as a possibility. Sure. I mean, in fairness too, like even though Habitat, I mean, I know I keep focusing on Habitat through this question, but you know, they say that they, you know, that they buy back the property, but in essence, it never leaves Habitat's balance sheet. No. So the asset is a perpetual benefit generating thing, right? It's an interesting model that delivers, you know, certainly lower cost of living or housing uh, through this zero, you know, at cost mortgage, which yeah. itself is an interesting instrument. But I think that's what you're doing. And, and I wouldn't argue that home ownership is the panacea for most people. But I think, I guess the last question before we go is, I know you're working on a creation of a, a, a larger kind of financial instrument. Uh, I think, is it called affordable housing bond or something that, yeah. through CMHC, which I think is a really exciting thing. And it reminds me of what Singapore has, which is you know, 80, 90% of their housing isn't actually inside their sovereign wealth fund. It's mm. held in trust. And so the benefit of that is everyone shares in, in the shared equity of common wealth and, and nobody gets to have a capital gain. You, you know, you're not allowed to just flip your condo and, and move to Hong Kong or somewhere. Uh, so that asset sits inside that fund and then it becomes the asset to create a, uh, you know, a retirement revenue stream. So everyone, in a way, is taken care of, built on the most important asset, which is your home, right? Yeah. So I think what you're, what you're doing with this, this fund idea, I think, or the, or, and I think you're fashioning even a bond, are you not? Yeah, so we, we you know, through, it, it, the idea's not new. You know, people yeah, raise yeah. bonds to, to, sure. to, to invest yeah. all, all the time. So we, we, we took that, and, and it's based on a model out of the UK, uh, where they've been doing it for a number of years, uh, basically borrowing off the bond market and non-lending to housing agencies. Yeah. And so a, a group of uh, leading CEOs from across the country came together and said, you know, would, would this work in Canada? Mm -hmm. We funded yeah, yeah. some feasibility and launched Housing Investment Corporation. Ah, um, okay. And that got um, the three owners there, BC Housing, Manitoba Housing, and Housing Services Corporation in Toronto. So three crown corporations. Yeah did a, a, a uh, initial investment in, in the company to get yeah. it launched. CMHC has uh, backstopped the borrowing with a $20 million investment through their innovation fund. Okay. And so they've been able to go to the bond market and raise capital to online sure. to agencies such as us. And we, we did one last year. So we, we put $10 million of debt right. uh, on one of our assets that was debt free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that could sustain that debt, and we're going to use that ten million dollars to invest and, in our next project. Wow! But it came straight off the bond market, so yeah. we we're trying to we're trying to create an asset class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That institutional investors sure. would be interested yeah, in investment grade bond. So you didn't call it anything fancy, though. No, it's not called affordable housing bond or social bond. No, not a green no. bond. Yeah, this is this is investment on straight math. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, because that's stuff that we're I'm working on now. Is can we? Can we imagine creating, you know, we've got green bonds coming out, but can we have a very social purpose bond, a well-being bond even? Yeah. And and it's just what the term sheet says, you know, what what is this debt money being used for? So it's very clear, right? Yeah. That, and uh, to me, that's a new uh, frontier and exciting. So. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks for joining me on the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anelski. I hope you can join us next time for another special guest.